Hello, this is the 259 from Seven Sisters. My name is Dean and this is a new podcast. Um, the intention behind the podcast really is to try and help those of you like me, long-suffering Tottenham Hotspur supporters that perhaps are feeling a little bit of a disconnect with the club right now. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that for the last year or so. And for me, it's probably been 18 months to two years that I've been feeling that way. So the plan around this podcast is to try and work our way through the commercial corporate stuff that the club seems to be shrouded in at the moment and try to rekindle our love for the club. Uh, we're hoping to get people to come on and share their stories, their memories and the things that make Tottenham Hotspur so special to them. And for me, it's probably a bit of a mercy mission trying to, to find that, that first love of mine, I guess, that um, you know has always been there for me and has probably been fading a little bit over the last year or so. So... It's going to be a bit of a journey. It's not going to be easy. And as I say, we are going to have to talk about the current setup. But we hope that we'll find some of that romance in football all over again. Now, of course, with any journey, you do need a co-pilot. Um, although I suppose in this case, with it being the 259 from Seven Sisters, maybe he's more of a conductor to my driver. I'm not sure. But um, I am joined by my co-host, Ashley, who I hope is going to provide some balance and some, uh, some perspective on a lot of my rants. So Ashley's with me now. Ashley, how are you, mate? I'm all right, Dean. How you doing? Yeah, um, I'll be the happy clappy. Everything's good. No need to worry. Uh, Mr. Positivity. That's my role, right? I think that's your role because I'm certainly okay. not that guy at the moment. I'm, I'm going to oh. hope that for those that do listen throughout this podcast series, that hopefully by the end of it, I'll be a little bit more positive and, and, and try and remember, as I said, that romance that football kind of provides you, doesn't it? You know, it's your, it's your first kind of relationship, really. Your first long-term relationship and money always gets in the way of relationships and, and things like that. And I feel like that's probably where we are now. So let's try and uh, try and find that, that raw emotion that football um, generates. It, yeah. I mean, as I said, we're, we're going to get people to come on and talk about their memories and, and the stories and, you know, as for a lot of people, Tottenham Hotspur, you know, maybe has changed their life or has been part of a big life event. Um, but obviously, as I said, we cannot ignore what is going on at the moment. Um, the disconnect is something that seems to be, you know, spoken about daily on social media at the moment. For me, I don't know about you, but the club just seems like it's in a bit of chaos. What, what, <laughs> what, is, what is going on? I don't understand what's happened over the last year or so. Yeah. I mean, from obviously we're recording at a very timely point with the, uh, the latest managerial rumours. Mm. Looks to be pretty solid that it's going to be uh, Paolo Fonseca. I mean, um, the fact that I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right because I've never heard anyone say his name before is probably not a great indicator of the guy's stature. I think, look, you know, I've, of course, we all go on Twitter. We see all the arguments back and forth and people saying, look, we can't dismiss him. We've got to give him a chance. No one rated Pochettino before he came, all that kind of thing. And do you know what? It all comes down to, for me, it all comes down to how these things are framed by the club. And if, you know, if you want to get the fans on board, then hinting at the fact you might be willing to bring Maurizio Pochettino back and then following that up by saying that you're in talks with Antonio Conte, who, whatever you think of him, is obviously one of the best managers around for, in terms of what he's achieved. It's not going to go well if you then end up appointing a guy who we've basically never heard of. Like he might turn out to be the next Pochettino or, you know, even better. But you've got to accept that when you frame it in that way, it's not going to go down well. And um, obviously uh, what what you've kind of put together here and putting the podcast together is, is it all about trying to sort of claw back that kind of love and affection towards the club. And 
One thing I've seen people say a lot is, I'm embarrassed by how the club's run. I'm embarrassed by how the club has conducted this managerial search. I'm embarrassed by how the club treats its fans in a more general sense. And I totally understand that. But the thing that I always think about is, we shouldn't be embarrassed, right? Me and you didn't decide to charge the fans 60 quid to sit in the upper tier for the Villa game. Mm. Me and you didn't decide to sack Maurizio Pochettino, replace him with Jose Mourinho, sack Jose Mourinho, not have a manager lined up. Look, we, we didn't choose any of this. So I understand why people feel embarrassed because they are connected to the club and they wear the badge on their chest and they feel like the, what the club does, is, it represents them. But the people who made these decisions should be embarrassed. We don't need to be embarrassed. Mm. What we need to do is remember that we support the club and it's not Daniel Levy and it's not Jose Mourinho or Maurizio Pochettino or whoever happens to be in charge. We support this entity. Um, and I think I think it's hard to remember that, but that's what I always try and, and fall back on is like, I support this entity that is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club that will be here long after I've gone. It was here long before I got here. Yeah. And... I kind of feel like that's what we, we need to get back to if, if, if it's at all possible. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I, and I think at the moment, it seems it's hard for so many to kind of think like that. And yeah. I think obviously with the, the European Super League and, and everything, else, and I mean, that's another topic for another day. But, you know, just I think for me at the moment, it seems that we've, you know, I, I go back to that, that final season at the lane. Um, we seem to have all of our ducks in order. You know, we knew what we were doing. <laughs> all right, the Wembley thing was a yeah. bit of a mess, but everything else seemed to be there. There was a clear project in place. We knew what we were trying to achieve on the pitch. We knew what we were trying to achieve off the pitch. Um, and then maybe the Wembley thing was the, the spark for things going wrong. I don't know, but it just seems like decision-making processes have changed. And, and we've gone from having a very clear plan to yeah. you kind of almost get this image now of the board and whoever else are up there making those key decisions, just kind of frantically just going from one kind of solution to the next and yeah. not even really assessing them, just kind of going, well, let's just try it. You know, proper firefighting at the moment. That's yeah. what it feels like. Um, yeah. And that's the thing that really just this whole managerial pursuit and I, I I mean, yeah, you said, you know, Fonseca, Fonseca, whatever his name. I've never heard of the fella. Um, I felt like Danny Rose. I had to Google him, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, to be perfectly honest with you, the director of football that's coming in, I've never heard of him either. What I have read is very mixed reviews. You know, maybe he was actually better as a number two to someone else at Juve before being given the main job, etc. It, I don't know. There just feels like there's no, no structure to the decisions. There's no yeah. real plan. And obviously, you know, Conte not happening, uh, Pochettino not happening, whatever. Maybe we are now on third, fourth, fifth solutions. Mm. But it just feels, as I said at the beginning, it feels like chaos. It feels like a mess. Yeah. And I can't see a way out of it at this precise moment in time because of also that coming at the same time that we've got all of this, you know, discontentment off the pitch as well. Um, you know, players want to leave. Fans not happy. We've now yeah. got some random Portuguese guy that's had some success in, in Ukraine. It, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to judge him before he starts, but it yeah, just absolutely. feels like a, yeah. Look, ultimately, right. When I turn up for the first game next season, I'm going to be wanting us to win just as much as any other game. You know, I, of course I want whoever our manager is to succeed. I wanted Jose Mourinho to succeed, like as much as it pains me to say it. Of course I did because he was our manager, but that doesn't mean that we have to not express a view on the guy and there's nothing really to grab onto that makes you think this is the guy I want to manage my football club. Mm. And hopefully he proves us all wrong. 
I, I, look, I, I wrote a blog a little while ago about when Poch first came in, I wasn't convinced. And I remember when we went 1-0 down to Forest in the League Cup, I was like, all right, this, this is going to only end one way. Like, he, he, he's not, he's not going to turn this round. And that was really early. Um, and then by, you know, almost this fate, this a moment of fate, he brought on uh, Ryan Mason, Harry mm. Kane. Yeah. And, uh, and they both scored... Actually, I think Mason scored. Maybe Kane set up a goal. Anyway, they both made an impact, and it was like you know, um, history. Uh, you know, the rest is history. So, look, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think it, it's beyond. It goes above what who our manager is at this point. Yeah, no, but definitely. It, I think Wembley's probably an interesting kind of landmark to work from, because obviously some of that was forced upon us, and some of that was done for the long term good of the club, right? Mm. Having this stadium, as much as I, what, the original White Hart Lane is my favourite place ever to exist. It always will be. Yeah. Like I was very fortunate to have a season ticket there from, from when I was a little kid, and I adored it. But having this stadium now is for the long term good of the club. But what it's meant is this trajectory, like you said, Dean, that we were on, where it felt like you know on that last day, the United game, the last day at White Hart Lane, you would have only expected good things for the football club. And of course, since then, we've had a, a really good, decent season, to be fair, at Wembley. We then got to the Champions League final. It's still, you've had that nagging thought, I think we all have, of like, it doesn't feel like we're quite seizing the opportunity we have in our grasp here. Um, because since 16-17, last season at White Hart Lane, the performances haven't, haven't improved. They no. sort of, they plateaued. And then obviously towards the end of the Poch era, they tailed off. Um, and it's really interesting because it's like, you know, we had that season where we didn't spend any money, but that was the season we got to the Champions League final. So everyone thought, oh, we've got away with it. Mm. But the real impact only hit the following season. And, and it feels like, look, we can talk, we could spend hours talking about the way Daniel Levy runs a football club. And I don't think it's all negative, but I also don't think it's all positive. And I think you can go back as far as, for me, you can go back as far as, well, pretty much when he came in. It's really interesting because he has not changed his patterns of behaviour this whole time. It, it's Because it, you go back, he came in in 2001, we were in an FA Cup semi-final and he went, I'm getting rid of George Graham. Hmm. And if you look, that's basically what he did this year. He I got rid of an unpopular manager. Yeah, I was literally just going to say the same thing. It, it feels like Groundhog Day to an extent. Um, you know, pre-Poch, we were going from short-term appointment to short-term yeah. appointment to disaster yeah. to disaster. We got Pochettino in. There seemed to be a change in dynamic. It was more about, you know, we're now planning for the long term. The stadium's coming. The training ground's been delivered. Now we need a team to match the facility and vice versa. Um, so it was almost like they had that blueprint of what they perhaps were striving for all this time. Yeah. Um, you know, and as, as you said, you know, it started very early on with an unpopular manager that had delivered yeah. success, yeah. in quotes, you know. But it then became very kind of yeah short sharp whereas now we've got that blueprint but we don't seem to want to go back to the blueprint that seemed to work i i i mean i i was born late 80s so i grew up supporting spurs in the, the dreary 90s um i don't recall a time where spurs were as feel good as they were under pochettino no uh, the old era is close the harry redknapp era is relatively yeah. close um but the, it it never felt as United. It never felt like every corner of the stadium was incredibly yeah. satisfied with what was going on yeah. more than it did under Pochettino. And this is not me. You know, I mean, I'm all for 
I love Pochettino. And when the news broke, I was probably the, the first sucker. You know, when that news broke that there was a possibility that he was coming back, I instantly fell in love with Spurs all over again. <laughs> um, and then very quickly, you know, it went back to going, oh, well, same old. You know, they've just given us a bit of information and then it's not paid off. Um, you know, very much like the Rivaldo signing and the Daniel <laughs> signings and all those things that have happened over the years. But it, I just can't understand why when you've got that blueprint there and maybe Fonseca is the idea, you know, he's going to come in, he's going to build without any expectation. However, the problem with that for me is there is now expectation. Pochettino came in with no expectation. And I remember the Forest game and the Villa game. And I know in his book where he turned around to his staff and said, we better pack our bags. We're off until Kane put in the the free kick. Maybe that's what they're bringing him in to try and recreate. But we've now been there. Champions League final, almost winning the league. Yeah, we bottled it, whatever. But we've been there. We now expect... That's why we were able to bring in someone like Mourinho, who, yes, again, not a fan. However, it's a name yeah. that we would never have been able to touch no, pre-Pochettino. No. Conte was even you know, remotely interested in taking the job. Tells you where this club should be at. So bringing someone in who, ultimately, other than winning three titles in Ukraine in what you know, used to be a two horse race is probably now a one horse race. And then from what I've read, you know, over the last day or so, actually saw Roma kind of deteriorate under him a little bit. It just doesn't quite marry with what you think would be the sensible decisions. Um, And I do worry that, yeah, as you said, it's something we could go on for, you know, a while talking about, but I just worry when you look at the squad, I think I made a reference to it yesterday. You can imagine the, the squad WhatsApp over the summer. You know, Pochettino's coming back. <laughs> as soon as they hear Pochettino's coming back, it splits the group. Those that wanted him gone, those that wanted yeah, him to stay, yeah. you know where you're at. Conte, again, you know, there's this talk that the players supposedly got involved. They didn't, as far as I'm concerned. But th- there would have been a clear kind of, you know, Conte in, Conte out camp within the squad, I'm sure. This guy, I mean, are they? Yeah. Is, is Harry Kane looking and going, all right, you've convinced me one more year? Yeah. Or is Son going to sign that contract? You know, those players that are already kind of looking out the door and thinking maybe it is a bit brighter out there. Yeah, It, it just worries me that we're going all the way back to the starting point. Um, yeah. Yeah. A rebuild seems to be the thing that people keep talking about, but this isn't the kind of rebuild we need. No, no. I mean, yeah, it, it, it would be the first appointment that would be definitively going backwards because mm-hmm. look, you and I clearly have similar views on Mourinho, but as you say, he was a name that we would never have expected to, to, manage football club and I go back to 2007 I always think about this when uh, when he was in the process of sacking Yo, mm. and he was he was clearly had Ramos lined up and then all of a sudden Chelsea sacked Mourinho and immediately Levy's head was turned it was like that classic you know the meme that everyone's using now like Mar- Levy saw Mourinho get sacked and his head turned like that but we couldn't get him no. he wasn't we weren't on his radar and now, obviously, we've sort of met. In, he's come down a bit. We've gone up a bit, and we've sort of we've met in the middle a couple of years ago. But to go from Poch to uh, even like if you go back, like AVB was a name. You know, yeah. he'd won he'd won trophies. He got come from Chelsea. Redknapp was a firefighter, but he was a name. So we, there's that progression of Redknapp to AVB to Poch to um, Mourinho, like in terms of stature. Yeah. And no one's, going, unfortunately for us, no one's going to argue that Paolo Fonseca is, uh, in terms of stature, an upgrade on Mourinho. And I think it's really hard because I think it just deflates the fan base. It just makes us all think our, our glory years, and yes, I know we didn't win any trophies, but our glory years are now behind us. Mm. And we are back to being that seventh or eighth best team in the league. And maybe we'll get a cup run. And it's, 
you, you know, of course, that's not what Daniel Levy wants for the club, but that feels like the direction we're heading in right now. Sorry, I know I'm meant to be the happy, clappy, everything positive. <laughs> it says it all, um, though, doesn't it? it but does. yeah, I mean, I just, I just feel like, as it stands right now, there needs to, the, the, the fans are just desperate for something to cling on to. You know, you think back to the Dybala, the near signing of Dybala and how, what that would have meant. Mm. And, you know, even, look, it's not as exciting a name, but even, you know, when we were being linked with Skriniar at centre-back last season, like, we need someone to come in. And obviously we thought Ndombele was going to be that and we thought Lo Celso was going to be that and maybe they still will and maybe Sessegnon will be. Um, and obviously Bale was probably bought almost solely for those aims. But... We don't have anything to cling to right now. We don't even know if Gareth Bale's going to be playing football for anyone next season. We don't know where Harry Kane's going to be playing. Like you say, Son still hasn't signed his contract. And outside of those players, I mean, who do we cling on to? What's going to be our great hope for the future? That's just it, isn't it? it, it <laughs> you do feel like there is... I mean, I've always kind of said it. You know, for me, as I said, growing up supporting Spurs in the 90s and you know the early 2000s, we kind of always were in a position where we had one superstar. Always. And always. the rest were very yep. average. Yeah. Um, and eventually that superstar would move on and then we'd stumble yep. across another superstar. You know, I yeah, even, you know, fairly recently, I kind of Ginola was always the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say the name, but the other centre back that we used to have, and yeah, then obviously Ledley King him. came through. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and then you even think along the lines of Michael Carrick, then Modric, yep. Berbatov, those sort of players, they always stood head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, yeah. Um we did get to a point where the players were all kind of standing shoulder to yeah, shoulder. There was yeah, the odd yeah. standout. Oh, definitely, whereas now, definitely. Definitely. We've, we, before the manager's even in place, you do feel like the quality of the squad is, is falling very quickly back into that kind of position. And that's what worries me. Um, and I think one of the things actually, and I think it kind of sums up what a mess this summer has been and how much of a kind of a roller coaster the whole sort of the, the whether it's, you know, been the genuine journey from Pochettino to Conte. I don't know whether it's just been PR spin, whether it's been journalism. Yeah. I don't know. But when we were linked with Conte, I kind of had flashbacks to the the Arneson Santini season, uh, summer. Mm. You know where it felt as if okay, so we've made a decision. We're bringing in a, a, a reputable director of football. He's going and been working with a, a manager with you know a fantastic reputation on the top top level. And then it all just kind of just unraveled quite quickly but underneath that was this building of a squad you know yeah. I remember Arneson's some of Arneson's transfers were brilliant I mean some of them yeah, were, it's much, true, some yeah. of them were really really good and yeah. they really did elevate us to another level and then obviously Martin Yol came in and took it kind of on and and you know and, and allowed them to play football I kind of had that feeling where I felt something happening here you know we're bringing in the director of football he knows the manager he knows what the manager's capable of the manager knows exactly what he wants to get out of a team We've got this this level of players that can be there to, to carry us forward. And then there's another level that we really need to build on. It all felt very familiar. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what, for me, I again, Conte was a name where I was like, mm, I don't know about the style of football, etc. However, there was that moment where I kind of went, this could work because this is what kickstarted us last time we did yeah. this. Yeah. And then now that Conte's obviously seemingly walked away yeah it doesn't feel like it has that kind of level of oomph that that perhaps it no. did bringing in a manager of his stature it, you know you now look at the transfer market and you go from being linked with someone like Lukaku for example to, <laughs> I've just seen that we've been linked with a guy that's playing in the MLS and it, you know and from, I'm, I'm ignorant to the MLS I don't know who he is he may well be a world beater but it, it, it kind yeah. of shows the level isn't it and, and that's a worry 
yeah, I mean, it is a worry, and you know, we've we've had we've had directors of football over the years that have been good, bad, and indifferent. And I think it's interesting because Arneson actually did do pretty well, and and then Camoli, to be fair to him, did make some good signings as well. But it, it look, we, what we keep saying is that it doesn't feel like there's any kind of strategy behind any of this. It doesn't feel like Daniel Levy knows how he wants his football team to run. He knows how he wants the club to run off the pitch. Fine. But when it comes to how we, how the team should be set up in terms of who who makes the transfers, who picks the team, those kind of things, it feels very, very disjointed. I think it always has done. Mm. So, you know, we get rid of one director of football and then there's not an immediate replacement. We change the structure. Um, Paul Mitchell comes in, Paul Mitchell goes out. Then Steve Hitchens come in and we don't really know what Steve Hitchens' role is other than it seems like he, he's heavily involved in recruitment. And I know there's that whole thing about him hating January transfer window. And I get what he meant with that. Oh, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm, I'm not going yeah. to slate him on that. Yeah. But And now we we almost certainly bring in the guy from Juve, but we don't know if that means Steve Hitchens sticks around or not. Mm. If it does mean Steve Hitchens sticks around, then what's the new guy doing that Steve Hitchens wasn't already doing? I mean, there's so many questions. It just... There's so much uncertainty. And I think, you know, you just look at what, what we have to look forward to in it. And it, it's a bit of a struggle, especially knowing that, that we all know that Harry Kane does not want to be at the club. So, you know, who, and in terms of like who we bring in, you know, look, there's a strong, I, I, I totally do think that there is an argument to say you cash in on Harry Kane at the age of 28, you get minimum 150 million, hopefully for him and you spend it wisely <laughs> and you build, you could build a proper team with that money. You yeah. could, right? Yeah. But do any of us have any confidence that we will spend that money wisely? That's just it, isn't it? I mean, we, we've been here before. Uh, obviously, the whole, you know, I love, the whole joke yeah. around Bale replacing yeah. Bale. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'll hold my hands up. The one thing I will say is I genuinely actually... I don't actually think that summer's recruitment was as bad as people think it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Ericsson, Ericsson alone, you could argue, paid it back. Like, he, yeah. Ericsson was unbelievable for us and, like, was absolutely the centre of our best years under Poch. Um, Lamella has been a solid contributor. Yeah. The others were fairly iffy, I think you'd have See, to now, say. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and um, I made reference to Paulinho. And, oh, my God. See, now... <laughs> <laughs> all right all i'll say is i was at the burnley away game all right when he had that shot that i think went off for a goal kick to the other to up you know it went so far wide it was ridiculous i know what you're saying i was also there i was also there at cardiff away when he scored yes. a late winner so fair enough a back flick winner like i mean he I, go on you tell me what you think no no him. i was i mean i was just i was gonna say i i don't think he was as bad as as people made out I just don't think that he necessarily fitted in with, with the other players that we bought in because if you think about it you know the goals that he did score and he got a few that season he, he was arriving late in the box he was probably occupying those spaces that Ericsson would, would occupy but the one that I really liked and I think he was in the same summer um, and obviously we're both relatively local to each other just on the outskirts of Watford Etienne Capoue, yeah, one that I really liked. I, I was there uh, so the day the first game of that season was Palace away and he came on I think he came on at half time and I was like, all right, yeah, he's he is proper. 
He's mm. a proper midfielder. He's just going to spray the ball about. He can get, he can stick his foot in. I was like, yeah, Capu. Capu's going to be the one. Mm. And flash forward eight years, and he's just got man of the match in the uh, Europa yeah. League final, hasn't he? And so he, yeah. that sounds like it wasn't that bad. He was brilliant at Watford as well. He was really good um, at Watford, yeah. I know there's levels yeah. to that, but you know, yeah. I, I really liked him. And I, I, thought I, I agree, I think that's fair. Yeah, I thought he was one that, given half a chance, he probably would have actually you know done all right. He may not necessarily have been you know, the, the the holding midfield player that we all cried out for and then failed to sign from Southampton last season. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's a different argument. I had a few interesting interactions with some Southampton fans the other day. Um, uh, I watched the England game and I was just saying how I'm baffled as to how we went to Southampton and didn't come away with Ward-Prowse. Um, yeah. and, and they were kind of laughing, saying that at the time they remember plenty of Spurs fans saying that we'd sign their best central midfield player and uh, yeah. not a fan of Hoiberg. Um <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not, I, I rate him. I'm just not sure that he's what we think he is or what no, we're what led to believe thinks, he is. Well, I think yeah. He, I think he fancies himself as a better footballer than he is. I think he fancies himself as more important than he is. Yeah. I think there's a problem for me with him is that I think he's a real representation of what Mourinho was trying to achieve with the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I refer to him as he's a bit of a fist pumper, you know. He, he runs yeah, around giving yeah, yeah. it all that. I can't... Yeah, exactly. I can't stand this whole Viking thing that they're trying yes. to push with him. You can see the club, like the Viking, the Viking. It's like, do you know what? Like, yeah, all right. I get it. He's Danish. But like, just... He's, he's not... Don't build him up to be... Because Spurs have this thing, like, obviously, we did it with Wilson Palacios. Yes. Uh, we did it with Sandro, who actually loves Sandro. Yeah, me too. Um, and then, to be fair, Victor Wanyama was proper. Like, when before the injuries, Wanyama was was doing the job, like, better than I've seen anyone do it at Spurs. Um, but Hoiberg isn't that player. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he, there's a role for him, but... you and, and actually, to be fair, one of my mates has been saying it all season, like, Hoiberg's not a holder, Hoiberg's not a holder, and... I've had to kind of gradually go, oh, do you know what? You're you're right about that. Like mm. it, it, he's not a holder, but then what's his role? Can he do enough going forward to justify it? I mean, you know, he's, he has scored a couple of goals more recently, but yeah. I, I mean, yeah, obviously that's we're we're getting right into the brass tax of it. We now. are, um, we are. But but yeah, there's 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 so there's so many questions around this squad right now. And and yeah, so if you go back to that 2013 summer, Soldado was a flop. Like mm. we all wanted him not to be, he was a flop. Um Kirikesh was a flop. Yeah. Ultimately. Um, oh, and the other one who I love was Chadley. I, I really like Nasser Chadley. And again, I think he was another player that probably fell victim to the fact that you could never really tell you what his best position was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that that season that yeah, he he I mean, was he one that went purely just because we couldn't guarantee him regular first team football. Yeah, I think, Similar to Sigurdsson, yeah. wasn't it, at the he, time? He, you know, those he hung, Chad, Chadley hung around for a while. He was still there mm. when Poch got there. Um, and then he sort of, yeah, he, he he just, yeah, he was just getting gradually gradually phased out. But still in the Belgium squad to this yeah. day for the Euros, unbelievable. But yeah, no, Chadley was one of Chadley was probably my favourite of that group. Obviously, Ericsson was clearly the best player. Um, and yeah, you're right. It was, it wasn't a total success, but it wasn't necessarily the failure that people say it was. When you look at, we mm. got an unbelievable contribution from Ericsson. Lamella was a solid, you know. I, I think you'd like to improve on that if we were to sell Kane, but it's, you know, it shows that it could be done if we had the right people making the decisions. The fear is, do we have the right people making decisions? Yeah. And is is Daniel Levy willing to give them 
free reign to make the right decisions. And I, that's I, what I it boils no down to, doesn't it? And I think that and the fact that, I mean, this summer is is not your usual summer with obviously a Euro <laughs> taking place and, and yeah. you know, the window's open now and we still don't have a manager, but I think the club will probably press on with signing players anyway because that's kind of what we do. Um, but I mean, yeah. one thing that I, I was kind of, and I think I mentioned it to you previously, one thing I, I'm, I'm really alarmed by, and I think it, it relates to what we're saying around the quality of squad, the last Euros, 2016, we had, I think, if I'm right, and quote me if I'm wrong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, out of the Premier League teams, we had the most players playing in the European Championships. I think we had 11. We've only that got seven right. this year, plus Bale, who, let's be honest, probably will not be ours next Does season. Does he count? Does he count? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the social media of Spurs is really still claiming him. I guess his contract is still, still running at Tottenham at the moment. But we've gone from having the most to only having seven of our actual signed players. Yeah, that for me is quite alarming, particularly with the England squad. You know, well, we've yeah, gone that, from being the yeah. England squad to being just Harry Kane in the England squad. Well, yeah. So, so it's really interesting. So, you obviously, like you said, Dean, you sent me the the sort of the suggested topics for our mm. chat a few days ago, and then today, this very day, um, a journalist called Seb Stafford Law, who's really good Spurs journalist, has written a piece for the Athletic about that very topic, oh. which is the lack of it, Spurs players in the England squad. And I had it's a great article which I recommend people read if you've got an athletic subscription. Um, but it but it really gets to the heart of what the issue is. And I look I looked at the England squad and I, I was like, do you know what? Maybe it's not such a big deal having one player in the England squad. I looked at it. So you've got United and City have got four each, Chelsea got three each, but then Arsenal have only got one, Liverpool have only got one, and we've got one. But the article really does do a good job of saying, what does it mean to Spurs to have players in the England squad? Because if you look back, um, I mean, the 2018 World Cup, it felt like you were watching Spurs. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> for better and worse, of course, like losing yeah, the yeah. semi-final, you could argue, was was very pure Spurs. But, like, you know, you had players like Trippier, Dyer, obviously Rose, um, and obviously Kane and Delhi. Like, they were right at the heart of that England team. Mm. And now, obviously, Trippier's moved on, but he's still playing for England. And then the, the article itself focuses on those other three. So, Delhi. Actually, it focuses on Harry Winks as well, but you know, Delhi and Dyer, I think, and and uh, and Danny Rose is another story. But Delhi and Dyer, I think, probably tell the tale. Like, I am a huge, huge Delhi Alley fan. Yeah. And in my eyes, all things being equal, he should serve a place in that squad. Hmm. Who he who he sits there instead of, I'm maybe not quite sure. But one of the right backs, probably. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could just take twenty seven right backs yeah. instead of twenty eight. And but but yeah, I mean, Delhi Alley. He's he's still so young and he's still got so much to offer. And I think I would I would lay less of the blame at his door than I would a certain manager who's been managing him for the last couple of years. Hmm. Um, but it is just sad. It's really sad to to see the lack of Spurs representation, particularly in that England squad, when you when you think about just how how important we used to be to that to that country. Um, and obviously, the fact that our one rep- remaining representative is clearly uh, keen on leaving doesn't do much to to help that positivity. It, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a bit of an indictment of of where the club is at in terms of you know what we are, what we represent to the to the country. I think. Yeah, and I suppose for, for I'll, I'll provide the balance for a second, but I guess that there is you know that element of we probably had three or four Belgians in the squad the last time around as well, whereas majority yeah. of those have left so again it's just an indication isn't it really that that era is long gone um, yeah very very quickly 
that's yeah, that's the thing. I think it's just so quickly. Yeah, well, the World Cup was three. The World Cup was three years ago, yeah. and we were right at the heart of that. And uh, only one of those players actually left the club. Now mm. the rest are all still at the club, but just not considered up to the level. And that can't even uh, get into our side a lot of the time as well. well yeah, which exactly. for different reasons, as you said. But yeah, yeah, they've gone from be- and I, I, again, you know, for me, I think England has never been something that I passionately, you know, follow. If it's on, I'll watch it. Um, I'm trying to force myself into the Euro spirit this year by throwing a barbecue on Sunday. Um, but, you know, that year, and I remember it was the year I got married and I remember, you know, really actually feeling like there was something there. And I think I'd gone from having that period where you were watching England and having to cheer on the likes of John Terry, Frank Lampard, who, you know, <laughs> Monday to Friday, you can't stand. And then they pull on an England shirt and you're supposed to pretend to like them. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, you know, I remember going away for a few days before my wedding with my best man and we watched the England-Columbia game, I think it was. And yeah. he, he turned to me and was like, you know, you're right. You're singing and shouting and chanting. Yeah. For like, but it, it, it felt familiar and it felt like, like you said, we were making a real contribution and I'm yeah. very much club before well, that, country. But it, yeah. it felt, it felt special. That Columbia game. Yeah, that, that yeah. Special period for us as well. And we were yeah. doing that on the internet. Exactly. It's it's true. Because if you look at the way it all fitted in really well in timeline, because 2018, mm. we'd, all right, we'd, we were at Wembley, but we'd finished top four again. And the players felt like they were on the, you know, on the upward mm. curve. And yeah, that, that Columbia penalty shooter, I mean, Dyer scored, Kane scored. Uh, did Trippier take one as Dyer well? Dyer scored the if, winner, didn't he, if I remember? Yeah, Dyer, exactly. Dyer scored the winner. You know, like it was, it was, it was amazing. And of course it was amazing because England won a penalty shootout for the first time, but it was, it felt like Spurs were really contributing and obviously had Delhi scored against Sweden, Trippier scored against Croatia, Kane got the golden boot. You know, no one could deny that Spurs were at the heart. And if we had gone on and won it, we could have, you know, West Ham would have had to shut up because we would have said, well, Spurs won the World Cup. Um, but as it turned out, we uh, couldn't quite get over the line. No, absolutely. True Spurs fashion. Just stepping away from Tottenham <laughs> for a second, we're, we're talking about the Euros. We ran a poll on Twitter the other day asking which Spurs nation, so England, France, Denmark, Belgium, Wales, which Spurs nation would have the best Euros. Interestingly, England came out on top. I'm not sure if that's just blind. Oh my God, wow. France were a close second. I voted France, definitely. Yeah. Is that your tip for Euro success? Is uh, Lloris going to have another trophy to take with him whenever he, he, he leaves? Uh, I, I think he could well do. I cannot believe that Moussa Sissoko is snuck into that squad. But um, and poor Tongi hasn't. I mean, Tongi must watch Sissoko in training every day and go, "What on earth is going on? How is this guy getting in the national squad ahead of me?" Uh, I, I understand they're slightly different players, but I don't think there's a single thing which Sissoko can do on the pitch that Tongi can't do, apart from run for ninety minutes. Yeah. I'll give him that. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think France. I mean, France is starting eleven. It's hard to argue. Um, I'm just going to take the opportunity now just to um, talk about an initiative that the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust are back in, that we are also backing on the podcast. It's a campaign called Kickoff Against Hunger. It's been running throughout the season and it's going to continue throughout the Euros. So the Supporters Trust are asking that people donate at kickoff every time England play. Uh, the campaign is in support of Tottenham Food Bank. I have some professional connections to the Food Bank, but as they have such strong connections to the club and the Supporters Trust, we felt that it would only be fitting for the podcast to also support the campaign. So if you do want to donate to Kickoff Against Hunger, you can do that before every England game by texting the word COYS Food Bank and then your number, uh, the value of your donation rather. So for example, COYS Food Bank 10 to 70085. I'll make sure the information comes up on screen and is shared on our social medias as well. Um, but yeah, really worthwhile cause supporting people in Tottenham 
the food bank have been running for a year now um, and the the support of the supporters trust this campaign and the club as well where credit's due um, has been hugely hugely invaluable to them so thank you to the supporters trust for backing that and, and pete and everyone over at the at the trust um, and hopefully anyone listening to the podcast will also support that campaign I, I think we should go back to why, why you set this whole podcast up, yeah. Dean, which is that you don't you don't want to lose that love for the club. And you know, we both we both got young children who are we're trying to bring up as Spurs fans. And um, I think three or four years ago, I think we probably thought we had it made, and that you know we're going to bring our kids up in a golden era of, of, of Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and it's it, it is tough to see that that potentially slip away. But I think we should try and take hope from the fact that look. I said this to you before we started talking on air. Um, I don't believe that there's a single person involved with Tottenham Hotspur Football Club who doesn't want the best mm. for the club. And whatever people think about Daniel Levy and others involved, Daniel Levy is a Spurs fan. Like he, he is. Like, and he may not be a Spurs fan who who has the same views as other Spurs fans, but he he is. He absolutely wants Spurs to succeed. There's no ulterior motive. You know, this isn't some kind of. You know, there are other football clubs who will remain nameless whose owners have no interest in whether they are successful on the pitch as long as they are um, achieving uh, bank balances for them. And I don't think Daniel Levy is, is that way. It, it, I don't think he sees the club in that way. So we have to believe, we have to cling to the fact that Daniel Levy, Steve Hitchin, everyone else who makes decisions at Spurs wants us to be successful. Whether they are capable of delivering that remains to be seen. But all we can do is... Of course we can moan, of course we can express our views, but we have to hope that um, that somehow, some way, uh, everything's going to come together. Harry Kane's going to give it one more year. Hyung Min Son's going to sign a contract. Deli Ali is going to return to his free-flowing best. Um, we're going to sign at least one centre-back who's going to stand alongside uh, Toby or Jaffet or Joe Rodon or whoever it is, and we're going to have this unbelievable season that comes from nowhere and uh, before we know it, we'll be singing Paolo Fonseca's name to the rafters uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll forgotten everything that's, that's come before. Um, and uh, if any of that comes true, then uh, you can thank me now. That's, that's Ashley really playing up the role of the, the positive spin on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's true. You know, this is what the podcast is for. We're, we're, for me personally, the idea literally came from the fact that I'm just so fed up um, and and not just fed up with the football because listen, I'm a Spurs fan, and as I said, I've grown up supporting Tottenham in the '90s when we were absolute garbage. Um, yeah. But it's everything around it that has just you know compiled, you know, just added to that. It's it's made it more of a difficult experience. So you know, I could take us being poor on the pitch as long as I still felt like it was there for me. The club was still giving me what I kind of want to take from it, and, and you know that kind of connection. Um, but it's all seemed to have just unraveled at the same time. And I think that's probably just sped up the process. And the problem is this isn't just something that you can just switch off for those of us that really love our football. And, you know, anyone that's ever known me throughout my lifetime, one of the first things I'll say to you is Spurs, if you ask them yeah. about me. So it's, yeah. it's more like a frustration and an anger that this has happened and it's been allowed to happen. Um, so hopefully, you know, people will come on and, and they'll like what we're trying to do here. Cause I think there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that probably feel very similar to me. I know there's some that feel a lot more passionately than I do. 
Um, and hopefully they will come on and, and share those stories. You know, maybe you did get married and Gary Mabbott walked through the reception and that was amazing. Or maybe you met your wife over the pint in the park. Lane. I don't know. You know, maybe it was just an away day that you really enjoyed. Um, I know the two of us are going to share our experiences and our yeah. trips down memory lane um, and, and talking about, you know, the, the events within supporting Spurs that kind of really stand out to us as, as special. And, and hopefully, hopefully it will start to kind of help me a little bit come to terms with, you know, as you said, it's a football club and, and that's what we need to remember and we need to try and ignore the business side of it. So already having your positive spin here is helping me to see things slightly differently. So it's we can working. Do this. It's working. We can so do this thing. Yeah, we can. And hopefully we can help others as well along the way. It's a self-help <laughs> group for us long-suffering Spurs fans because let's face it, there's a lot of us. Um, mm, so. You know, I talked to my dad about the 60s and the 70s and, and so on and so forth. And, and I, I, I long for those sorts of stories. So, you know, hopefully we can we can reconnect everyone and, and, and make it a thing again that people love Spurs and, and they care because you see a lot of that on social media at the moment. I don't care. Um, yeah, yeah. They haven't renewed their season tickets. I, I, I'm guilty. I haven't renewed my season ticket, but I didn't renew my season ticket about two years ago. Um, and that was more financial than it was anything else. Um, but again, I did feel like I was being robbed a little bit by the ticket prices. And if you're being robbed by someone that you supposedly love, it's, it's quite difficult to handle. So that was my reasoning for cancelling. I wasn't doing it in protest to anything. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's like you say about people not caring. I think it's like the only thing worse than hatred is indifference, isn't yes. it? And that's yeah. that's where I think a lot of Spurs fans are right now. It's like I very reluctantly renewed my season ticket more for my son than for myself, to be honest. I couldn't quite bring myself to deprive him just yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the last place you want to end up as a football fan is is being indifferent towards your club. No, absolutely. And, and there so were we're, we're going like to fight fight against it. Yes, because there were times like that last season where that was really the case. Um, you know, my wife would say to me, "Dean, you do realise that Spurs are on in ten minutes?" Yeah, I didn't even know we were playing today. Like, I literally, <laughs> there was times last year where I just completely switched off. Yeah, and it was more just to protect myself, I think, because of that. <laughs> you know, that that frustration and that anger that comes from feeling like that, and that's not it's an alien feeling to yeah. to not care. Um, and yeah, it would. Just yeah, it's it's not a pleasant feeling. So hopefully this podcast can can kind of help to you know we can come on, we can talk about the, the current situation and get it off our chest, but then we can reflect at the end and, and put a positive spin on it. So as I said, from next next episode, I think we're going to do these monthly initially. Um, so the next time we speak, Ashley's prediction about having a really positive summer and, and Harry Kane staying on for a year may well have come true. Who knows? Because we'll be well into the transfer window and the Euros will be almost over. Um, so maybe there'll be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And hopefully we'll have some some memory lane trips, as we're going to call them, some trips down memory lane to, to kind of revisit what makes Tottenham Hotspur so special to, to all of us. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you've got any closing comments, Ashley, before we start. No, uh, I think, you know, we can all be England fans for next month together. Forget about Spurs. Come back in a month, and we can see see where we're at. But uh, yeah, true. I, I do believe I do believe Harry's staying for another year, and I do believe that uh, things could get better soon. There you go. So he's been really positive today. He's also been Ashley. Um, I've been Dean. Thank you for watching and listening to the Two Five Nine from Seven Sisters podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we will see you next month. Cheers. <laughs>